Hi everyone and welcome to the Substantial Upgrades podcast. This is the third part of a four-part special episode on the March Madness bracket. They came out on Sunday and we are going region by region searching for value bets with a breakdown of all the matchups that we're going to see in the first round and then looking a bit down the road we can spot what teams can make a push in a deep run in the tournament. Now, um, today, uh, in this episode, we're going to focus on the South region. In the South region, we have Baylor as the number one seed, Hawaii State as the number two seed, Arkansas as the number three seed, and Purdue as the number four seed. Now, um, I'll give a brief introduction and to, you know, give like basically the summary of what I think about this region in terms of uh, betting suggestions so that if you don't want to listen to all my ramblings about all the matchups, you can avoid that by just switch it off. And then we focus on the matchups. Now, with what I did is basically assign my probability. There's no model behind it. It's just uh, my view of the different matchups to each uh, matchup. And then going forward in the bracket to any possible combination of matchups down the road, giving probabilities, again, of winning for each team. And then, obviously, at the end, you compute the conditional probability of a team advancing to the Elite Eight, Final Four, Final, and eventually winning. Now, I'm, I'm glad I did this exercise because I found out that I actually think that Baylor has slightly more chances than Gonzaga to win this all. And I did say that Gonzaga is the overwhelming favorite, and I still think that. But once I go and went and compute all the conditional probabilities, I come up with Baylor at 16% and Gonzaga at 15%. Which means, by the way, that Baylor, for me, it is a value bet. Now they are um, listed at 6.5, and that implies a lower implied probability of my estimation. So... If you like laws, those kind of odds, C.5, and you like Baylor, go for it, because I think that it's actually sound investing. <laughs> now, the only other value bet I found, well, value bet, by value bet, I mean, again, something where looking at the odds of the given team right now and compute the implied probabilities of that odds, then I compare them to my probability of them winning, my probability of them winning are higher, which is rare to find because usually the market is not priced in a way that is going to make you richer. But um, in this case, I also find Arkansas to have a 1.2 cover of the implied probabilities. And then going down the, the, the list of team, I think another nice outside bet is Virginia Tech. Uh, you can find a 125 odds. They don't cover... Uh, in terms of actual the probabilities they computed, but they're close enough. For an underdog, it's basically impossible to find uh, odds that uh, really cover for the risk that you're taking, but uh, a 0.8 ratio is, is a good one. So Virginia Tech is a good underdog. Then in terms of actually chances of winning the tournament, as I said, I had Baylor at 16 here. Then I have Ohio State and Arkansas both at 2.7%. The only other team with a fighting chance in this uh, part of the bracket for me is uh, North Carolina, which has a 1.5% chance. Now, this is the part of the bracket where I'm going to pick most of my upsets in the first round. And uh, so this is kind of important for bracket construction, bracketology considerations. 
I do like uh, many of the uh, lower seeded teams here. So let's go match up my matchup. Now let's start with Baylor. Baylor, they are the best three point shooting team in the nation. They have five players. They take more than two three point attempts per game. That average over 30 point, 38.5%. All of those five players do. And like that's that's insanely good, especially at college level. Now the the Devon Mitchell, Jared Butler, Mesut Teague is the trio of guards that make all of this possible. Where Mitchell and Butler are like the the scorer and facilitators in the offense, whereas Teague plays more off ball. By far the best backcourt in college basketball. Um, despite that, they're also a nice uh, rebounding team. They they put a lot of pressure defensively. They average nine steals a game, and but they are still somehow a top fifteen rebounding in the nation. That's also due to, obviously to to the pace of their gaming or the game, but still it's quite impressive. Their big men, Meyer, Feigler, they are decent option. They can also shoot the three, but they are the weakness of the team. There's no hiding that. And then we have Mark Vital, which is their best rebounder. He's a very physical forward, which I guess uh, the kind of sides matched with the kind of uh, scoring uh, um, attitude is a luxury in college basketball. Therefore, like overall, this is an immensely talented team. I think that their their only Achilles heel is the awful free throw shooting that can, can be costly for them um, in close game situations. Uh, and the footprint to beat this team is it's been beaten twice, once by Kansas and once by Oklahoma State in the season. And I guess that you need to match their intensity, both sides of the ball, but especially on the perimeter, and you need to pound them in the paint. They are not the most athletic teams in the paint, so under the basket, you can out-rebound them and you can like block them you can try and win your matchup inside. That's the only way you beat them. Now, the the first round matchup is Artford. Artford, let's not sugarcoat this. It's the worst team in the tournament for me. They got to be lucky winning the American Eastern A, but congrats to them because it's the first trip to the Big Dance. Now, they employed uh, quite a long rotation, but they're mostly a defensive team. I think they're going to get mauled by Baylor. <laughs> Like I, I can see going then going down by 30 points, even 40. So Baylor has a 99% chance of winning this one. Then we have the 8-9 matchup. It's between North Carolina and Wisconsin. Now, UNC, let's open a digression here. Like this year has seen the fall of the Blue Bloods. Uh, we've seen Kentucky and Duke struggling mightily and getting ousted. Why that happened? I don't think it's a coincidence. Uh, arguably, they didn't have the best crop of freshmen ever, but those are programs that they rely a lot on freshmen and one-and-done players. And, you know, they've been affected by COVID because they had to shorten the training camp and also fewer games within the season to get to the level they need to be to compete. And indeed, both Duke and Kentucky vastly improved during the year. Uh, and Duke was playing like a tourney team, like a top 30 team in the country before being kicked out from the ACC tournament due to COVID. I do believe they had a fair shot of making the tournament anyway. And again, Kentucky also improved during the season. So UNC had the very same issue. They had a very highly graded recruiting class in 2020 at all positions. So 
high expectations. They were under-delivering at the beginning of the of the season. But then what happened is that Roy Williams decided to mix things up in, Jan- in February and, embra- and embrace what is the basic nature of the roster, which is length and size. Those guys are big, like really big. Roy Williams at some point he said, okay, that's, that's, that's how we're going to win games. We're just going to smash people in the paint. And things improved vastly after that. So, And when you, you get the big man rolling, also the, um, the guards started to improve. So now the result is that we have an eight seed that plays like a top 20 team, in my opinion, and is a matchup nightmare for everyone, everyone. Now, size is everywhere on this roster. We have Kessler. He's a giant. He's exploded in the late in the season. He's like obviously a rim protector, but he brings also he brings it on also offensively. Then we have Armando Bacot, Sharp, uh, Leaky Black, Garrison Brooks. Those guys are all six and eight or taller. Now they feast on rebounds. They are first for offensive rebound in the nation. They average five blocks a game but with more than one player, which means that every time you try to penetrate, you're going to find a feast of hands in front of you, and it's going to be difficult to get buckets. Now, they are employing an eight-man rotation of good quality, so they they do not have one superstar, uh, and they don't have the usually playmaking a trademark, Roy Williams teams, but... They uh, they have a player in Caleb Love, which was highly touted coming in. He's been a bit up and down, but uh, he has shown also in the ACC tournament that uh, it's someone you can rely on to give you some playmaking. Now, um, it's, it's definitely coming into his own. If he is a breakout star in the tournament, then UNC has a chance. This team can be added to the Final Four if Caleb Loeb plays consistently at a high level. Now, um, they do have a good chance of upsetting Baylor if they get there. Uh, a potential matchup between UNC and Baylor in the second round is the most important game of the second round and probably of the tourney. Because I do not see any other team stopping Baylor be- outside of a possible matchup with Illinois in the Final Four. So if Baylor wins... With UNC and Illinois don't win their region, so they don't face Baylor in the Final Four, then Baylor wins the title for me. So that's quite an important matchup in the second round. Then, that being said, UNC needs to get there first, then they're going to face Wisconsin. Now, they're going to have a tough time getting past past Wisconsin. Wisconsin is a very frustrating team to face due to the tortoise pace at which they run their offense which gets you off freedom uh, offensively as well. Now, the good news for UNC is that they face many similar teams in the conference with mixed results, to be fair. But the solution, the final solution for them has always been to smash those people. So whenever the lead team going going down, okay, we're going to play as low as you want, but then we're going to smash you inside. Now, Wisconsin is a tall team themselves, and indeed they do well in rim protection, but they're not a good rebounding team. Not at all. So... Uh, you have forward Micah Potter and point guard uh, Dmitry Trice. They are the main f- offensive weapons with decent shooting percentages. However, whenever the offense inevitably stills for stretches of the game, then Trice is the Trice, Trice, I'm not really sure how you pronounce that, is the go-to man. And uh, he has done a good job embracing the role. 
However, it's not like this absolute talent that you cannot stop. Uh, then the rest of the rotation is Brad Davison, Nate Rovers, Halim Ford, and Tyler Wall. They all fit the typical mold of player that plays at Wisconsin. However, talent-wise and shooting-wise, this team is inferior to previous seasons and previous editions of the Wisconsin team. So they do need to shoot better to advance in the tournament. If they do, then they become the classical Wisconsin team, which is a nightmare to face, and you don't want to see them in your road to the Final Four. But they need to shoot better. I do think UNC has a 70% chance of winning these. And I hope to win, not because I'm going to cheer for them, but because, again, he set up a very good matchup with Baylor. Then, go. let's go on. The 12-5 matchup here is a matchup that some people are uh, uh, get. Mm, uh, it's like a fa- one of the favorite upset pick because we have Winthrop, number 12. It's a team that went 23-1, and very close to a perfect season. The other loss was by two points to UNC Asheville. They um, dominated the regular season and the tournament of the Atlantic, the Atlantic Sun Conference. They have a top 30 offense and a top 80 defense in the nation, which make by itself them a team that can make a run in the tournament. They have four players averaging more than 10 points a game, with Adonis Arms being an impactful six man of the bench, but their main and unquestioning star is Chandler Vaudrin. Uh, he plays kind of a power forward role, but average seven points and rebounds a game. They, they don't have a dominant ball player, but they share ball ending duties uh, aside of Vaudrin, which anyway is the main assist guy. Uh, however, they do lack scoring tracks on the perimeter, and there could be a fatal flaw against teams that can zoom in on Vaudrin, get him out of a game, and leave the rest of the team to win the game. They're going to struggle. Um, and that's why I'm not as high as most people are on Winthrop. They're going to face Villanova. Now, Villanova lost their best facilitator and best leader of the backcourt uh, in Gillespie. He was ruled out for the rest of the season, and people started immediately jumped ship on Villanova. Now, many seem to say, okay, they're going to lose to Winthrop. They had some bad losses after they lose Gillespie, but I mean, I think it's natural to give this team some time to adapt. But um, at the same time, you know, Villanova's system has never been just about one player. I feel like Justin Moore and Caleb Daniels are decent replacements for Gillespie. And for sure now, Nola needs to rely more on Robinson L, their sophomore big man, which is um, their top, also their top scorer, someone that probably is going to be in the NBA next year. And it's very important that German Samuels and Cole Swider, but also Caleb Daniels, they need to improve and they need to... Uh, shoot the three well if they cannot shoot the three well then without Gillespie they're in trouble but that won't put past this team to find a way to play well and uh, shoot the three well even without their leader they just need to really keep shooting the three well uh, even having more volumes compared to when Gillespie was still playing with them and they need to do it with the obviously much more defensive focus from the other team on them. They have a limited depth in their rotation, so I don't really see them on a deep run right, in the tournament because without Gillespie, they are like a limited roster. But they should be favored against Winthrop. I don't get why people think this is like an upset. So 
for me, Nova wins this with a 70, 75% chance. Then we have Puju, North Texas. Spoiler alert, this is my favorite upset, upset pick. Purdue is another big team, with its two big men also serving as primary scorers in Trivion Williams and Zach Eady. Uh, then they have a backcourt quite deep with uh, Jaden Ivey, Eric Hunter, Brandon Newman, and Sasha Stepanovic. Um, it's a decent backcourt. There's no single player that covers most of their own, own ball duties. They run an overall efficient offense tailored around the team's talent, which is mostly interior. Uh, let's face it, they're not a hugely talented team, but they play well together and are well coached. Now, their re- rebounding numbers are not as good as their average lens would imply, um, and their assist to turnover ratio is all right, but nothing to marvel at. Uh, and they're not a, a, a good three-pointing shooting team at all. So they're kind of decent at everything, and that makes them a prime candidate for an upset for me. So let's see what they're going to face. They're going to face number 13, North Texas. They are stylist- Stylistically speaking, they are a fit for Purdue. They are a very slow-paced team predicated on defense, and they do have much better defensive stats than Purdue in a conference that Conference USA, which is not an easy conference to play in. I mean, it's not the Big Ten, of course, where Purdue plays, but I would I wouldn't want to discount too much their good defensive stats because they play in the Conference USA. Now, um, this is the classical gritty, scrappy team that plays selfishly, um, can cause problems to teams with an under par guard play, which is exactly what Purdue is, and. They have, like, their best uh, uh, player is Javion Amlet. He's a sophomore playmaker with good three-point percent shooting. And James Reese is a nice compliment as an off-ball backcourt guy, which is a good scorer in the paint. And center Zach Simon- Simmons is an okay uh, guy. I mean, he's an okay basketball player. However, he does have some uh, turnover fouling problem. And that's their main weakness. Because outside of him, they don't really have much side. So if it's this... Uh, Guy gets in foul trouble, red alarm. Now, um, I can definitely see North Texas upsetting Purdue. It's going to be a low-scoring game, first to 50, 55 points win the game. And they do have a much better three-point uh, percentage, um, three-point shooting percentage. So Purdue still slightly favorite in terms of like percentages, uh, probabilities. But this is a very nice upset pick for your bracket. And I have Purdue winning this with a 53-55% chance. No more than that. Then uh, 6-11. Texas Tech versus Utah State. Upset alert. <laughs> also, you're like the, the lower seeded team. Now, uh, Texas Tech, I have a complicated relationship with this team. Until a few weeks ago, I thought they were one of the most underrated teams in, in college basketball. However, they keep losing most of their games with the other good teams in the Big 12. They, they swept Texas in the regular season, but then lost to them in the tournament when they actually matter. And they have a negative record against all the other tournament teams coming out of the Big 12. And on top of that, there's, there's a storyline brewing here. You know, McClung left Georgetown for Texas Tech last year. And now there's a very good chance, I think, that Georgetown will make more road in the tournament than the McClung and the, and the Red Raiders are going to do. So, first of all, I don't know why the committee did not take a chance to book this matchup. 
is revenge matchup between Georgetown and Texas Tech in the first round. Very, very miss, big missed opportunity there. But yeah, I mean, there's also a storyline working against uh, Texas Tech now. And I mean, storyline apart, I mean, McClung transitioned smoothly to his new team. He is their main scoring option. Albeit is struggling from the three point uh, line. Now, uh, Shannon is a highly touted player. They improved his jump shots this season. Uh, but I do personally still fail to see why NBA scouts are so impressed with this guy. There are some mock drafts out there that see him going in the first round. I don't really see that. But And this is a team that, um, that doesn't make many trees. And for good reasons. Because they, they don't have a consistently good shooter outside of Kyler Edwards. Which is also the assist leader of a you know, quite democratic offense with no dominant ball handler. Then the big guys are McCuller and Santos Silva. They're these decent rebounders with uh, defensive skill, but they're a bit undersized for the position. And this is definitely a thing can be exposed under the basket. Now, the rest of the organization is a complementary pieces as the three top 100 recruits that secured for the 2020 class all failed to impress so far, maybe with the exception of Micah PV, which is now getting more minutes but with mixed results. And I guess um, if those uh, three top 100 recruits were playing better, Texas Tech would be among the favorite to win the tournament, but they just didn't pan out for whatever reason. So it's a team that can be exposed in, um, in tournament play. And indeed, they face Utah State, 11th seed. This is another Mormon team, so I should bash them as I did uh, BIU. Nah. This team is legit. I like this team. Uh, the Mountain West had three bubble teams entering March. And those teams were Utah, Utah State, Colorado State, and Boise State. Boise State. Utah State was the team that both me and the committee liked the most. And that's... Uh, I mean, they deserve to be in the tournament after, like, they hard fought on each of their game in clutch time. Uh, they lost to San Diego State in the um, in the Mountain West Championship, but they beat them in regular season play. So now that they're here, can they make some noise? The answer is yes for me. Now, their main guy is Nemias Keta. He's a seven-foot center out of Portugal that averages double-double, and that's difficult to do in college. And they can also dish some dines. So um, he's you know, the centerpiece of their offense and defense. Uh, needless to say, his teams struggle to get boards against Utah State. Also because Justin B and Marco Anthony are, you know, the Keta partners in crime, also averaging north of five rebounds a game. Anthony and freshman Rolly Worcester are the main ball handler and run stones a pick and roll of Keta. Uh, it is a simple but effective offense. So you, you can't beat Utah State without good interior players or without barring them with triples at high pace. Now, therefore... I think Texas Tech can struggle against this team. Obviously, Texas Tech is still favorite. I think there is a 60% chance that Texas Tech have demands here. But another uh, good upset pick to make in your bracket, in my opinion. Uh, let's keep rolling on. Arkansas, Colgate, the 314 matchup. Now, I bet on Arkansas when they were listed at 100 odds to win the championship. Then they proceeded to go on on a nine-game winning streak before bowing to a surging LSU team in the SEC semifinals. So big pats on the shoulder to me. Now they're listed at 41. So you should have listened to me one month ago. 
now that we're here, um, I still like the, the chances, although they are in a very difficult bracket position for them. Moses Budi is their best player. Is climbing up the draft boards of many NBA teams. He could very well be a lottery pick coming June. But for now, he leads one of the most entertaining offenses in the nation. High pace. They're not a great defense, but they originate a lot of turnovers. And they love to play in open field. They're very fun to watch. They are undersized, so they kind of need to push the pace. Uh, that being said, Justin Smith is an exceptional offensive rebounder. And this team does get a lot of second looks on offense. Vanover is their 7-3 footer center. They place off the bench when the team needs to cool it down, play some interior defense. They have JD Note, which is a six-man to play every minute. He's a streaky, albeit inconsistent three-point shooter, and but also uh, a good passer. The only good range shooter this team has is Moses Moody which limit a bit the potential offensively. However, Jalen Tate and Deshi Sills complete a very respectable supporting cast. Now, they play number 14 called Gate, and boy, get ready. This is going to be the most fun game of the first round. Colgate is the second highest scoring team in the nation after Gonzaga, and Arkansas, Arkansas is the fourth. So, high pace, turnover, both teams crashed the boards and gave up easy transition points points in transition. Jordan Burns is the point guard dishing out five assists a game and their top scorer. They're a deep team with several scorers actually and is a great three-point shooting team contrary to Arkansas. Therefore, if the Razorbacks will have problems putting them away for good, then things are going to start getting real down the stretch. Um, there's an evident talent gap in favor of Arkansas. No question asked. Moody can torch this difference. I think he can score 40 plus points on Colgate, but Colgate can come back with triple. So 3% shooting could do Arkansas in this matchup. And while I love Arkansas, I think they have just about 70-75% chance of winning this one. So if you don't believe in Arkansas as much as I did, this is another prime spot for an upset pick. Now, let's go on. Number 7 Florida versus number 10 Virginia Tech. Number seven, Florida, they lost their top player, Keon De Johnson, to a very bad heart condition for the season. But the Cators were able to rally around their core juniors in Castleton, which is a threat under the basket, 6'11 uh, foot tall. Then they have Tyrell, uh, Tyree Appleby and Noah Loki. They're all averaging 10 points a game. Uh, the main piece, though, has been Trey Mann, an highly recruited guard in 2019. Man has stepped up big time after Keontae Johnson injury. He doesn't always play on ball, uh, as it is most dangerous off the ball, shooting 40% from three. If Florida had a, had a better backcourt, and that could have happened if uh, the um, freshman Samson, uh, difficult name, Samson Rujenstev <laughs> uh, had a better season, then Man could have played off ball and this seemed this team could have been much, much better. However, Rusenstev was a big disappointment. He was a top 40 recruit, but didn't get any minutes this season. So this means that Mann needs to play most of his minutes on ball, which makes this team much more predictable and easy to defend on. As it is, even with a long quality rotation, they will go down against more talented and athletic teams. And I think 
Virginia Tech is one of those teams. So I'm actually think that Virginia Tech is favorite in this matchup. Um, Virginia Tech, my opinion, is the underseeded. They had a long COVID break, which means their record is not as impressive as it could have been. They played a very close game with UNC, despite a notable side disadvantage, because Kevin Aluma is a great interior player and the top scorer of this team. And he could match well against the, the three four guys that were swarming the board uh, for UNC. Um, so he could do much better against uh, um, people not that long. Now, um, they are a very slow-paced team, but more pay, high-paced than most in the ACC, uh, with good on-ball defenders that can do a good job of neutralizing men from Florida. So uh, Radford and Aline are competent, if not spectacular, backcourt players, and Justin Matz is a serviceable stretch for now, Allen and uh, Benchman Kator are the good shooters of this team. Um, but the guy that takes more trees is Jalen Khan, albeit uh, with uh, fewer um, percentages. They're overall a complete team. There's no major weakness here. Uh, obviously, the talent-wise, they're not as good as many other teams in the, in the tournament. But contrary to many other teams in the tournament, I don't see any evident weakness with this team. And they are the favorite against Florida. I think they have a 65% chance of winning this matchup. Then we go to the last matchup of this section of the brackets. Ohio State versus Oral Roberts. Ohio State, number two seed, after closing the regular season with four consecutive losses to the top team in the Big Ten, Ohio State made an impressive run at the Big Ten tournament, forcing an overtime game with Illinois in the title game. Despite being a mostly veteran team, Ohio State seems to gel only later in the season when uh, EJ Lidl become the focus of this offense. Now, while CJ Walker is the point guard, it's Duane Washington, their best scorer, shooting 46% from true and 32% from three. Justin, Justice Sewing is a nice complimentary piece to Lidl on the front court, and it is a reliable tertiary offensive option. Then we have other three uh, pieces from the bench, which are Kyle Young, Justin Ahrens, and Zed Key. They round up a good roster with length and sound rebounding numbers. Now, Iowa State offense can exchange punches with anyone. Anyone. They showed this at the Big Ten tournament. But their defense could be their downfall. We certainly see a more focused team on defense in the Big Ten tournament, especially in their win against Michigan, and also in their overtime game against Illinois. But they really can shake the feeling that Ohio State picked like two weeks earlier than they should have. They picked in the wrong tournament. They brought the, the, the defense intensity needed to win against good offenses at the wrong time of the year. Now, it might be up to Liddell to keep elevating and get him out of trouble against good interior teams. But after all, he's, he is undersized. He cannot like uh, compete the seven-footers. And... Overall, as I said, the feeling I had is that Ohio State picked too early. <laughs> now, they face Oral Roberts. Oral Roberts was a surprise winner of the Summit Conference, a conference which recently was dominated by the two Dakota states, South Dakota State and North Dakota State. Finally, we have a different winner. Uh, they, indeed, they beat both of them in the tournament, both South Dakota State and North Dakota State, after losing to them in the regular season. So it, that's why I say it was, they were a surprise winner. This is the 12th scoring offers in the country. They push a fast 
crazy pace with sophomore Max Mass averaging 24.4 points a game. Now, the other scoring option is junior center Kevin Obanor, which almost averaged double-double a game. Now, this is not the most efficient of offenses, and they do not have good playmaking since um, Abmas is the primary option but cannot trust much the shooting of his teammate. Abmas shoot 44% from three. <laughs> and Obanor shoot 47% from three on four attempts a game. So I would say it, there is potential for an upset here. Uh, clearly that can happen only for a Roberts start strong and then try desperately to hang on and Ohio State cannot make in-game adjustment. Uh, but uh, there is a chance. It's not a huge chance though. I have like Ohio State um, winning this matchup uh, with the 90% chances. They will find much trouble later on with uh, Virginia Tech and uh, Arkansas though. So yeah, that um, that concludes the my breakdown of the South region. We're going to focus on the North region next in the next episode of this four-part special.